I'm turning this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Well, friends, this is our topic uh, for this morning as we come uh, to the next stage in the order of uh, salvation. Uh, sanctification. Sanctification. Personal holiness. The pursuit of conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. The growing in grace of the Christian. The becoming more and more like the Saviour. The ultimate goal of every believer. This is what God intends for you. You're a believer in Christ. Uh, you're a Christian today. This is what he wants for you, is that you become, in reality, more and more like Jesus, transformed into his image, gradually, little by little, in this life, and until you go to glory. Only then will that image be a true and perfect reflection uh, of him. But sanctification for this life, a work, friends, that God does in the believer, making him actually, really, in reality, uh, making him holy and pure and clean. In justification, as we've seen, it's a declaration. God is declaring the one who trusts in Jesus, declares him righteous, pronounces him righteous. It's a proclamation made by God in heaven. Sanctification is God beginning that process within the believer. From the moment he is justified, from the moment he has come to the Lord, that process begins of making that man, of making that woman, that boy, that girl who trusts in him, of making them holy in actual, in actual making them real, improving them, bettering them as people, improving their character day after day. And sadly, many uh, believers are somewhat unfamiliar uh, with this word, or perhaps they know the word, I should say, sanctification and holiness, but they are maybe perhaps averse to uh, the word, or averse to the actual concept of being holy. And they perhaps think in their minds of it in a very negative kind of way. Holiness, oh, that... You know, we don't want to be too holy. We don't want to go overboard. We don't want to be like oddballs in the world, you know. If we emphasize holiness too much and sanctification, perhaps we'll be uh, like that in the world. In society, we'll, we'll treat us as, as these funny, strange people. And uh, we don't want to take it too seriously, do we? And some people, well, they sort of think of it, holiness in this way, this negative way, as if every moment you must be spending uh, in doing some spiritual activity, as if you need to be praying every moment and reading your Bible every moment and evangelizing and uh, all these things and uh, listening to sermons every moment of the day, as if they think, well, that is holiness, as if you turn in, you, by becoming more holy, you evolve into some kind of evangelical monk. That's not holiness either. It's good to do those things, encourage you to do those things. But that's not what holy, holiness is. But holiness, friends, is a, is a beautiful life. 
Holiness has something very attractive, we could say, about it. You think of Christ, he was the holiest man who ever walked this earth. And he was, yes, he had his times of prayer, day and night. He was alone with the Father. But he was also in, the, in, in his ministry. He was in the midst of people. He was in the midst of crowds. And what did the people, they flocked to hear him. They did love to hear his teaching. But there's also something about him that was drawing, that was magnetic, I'm sure. His character, they'd never seen such a, a person like this. And the way that he said it. And the way that he behaved in times of difficulties and trouble and when people were out to, to kill him and to, uh, to speak, people were speaking all sorts of things uh, evil about him. His disciples, his, the apostles who were there uh, with him the whole time saw him up close. They admired, I'm sure, the way that he was. And they saw his meekness under sufferings and his quietness and his ability to manage himself under great provocations. Well, that's a holy life. That's a beautiful life, isn't it? It's an attractive thing. Oh, it's holiness, friends. You could even say it's a cheerful thing. It's not a sour, dour thing. Oh, we don't be holy. There's something cheerful about being holy. The righteous are glad in heart. There's a gladness for those who live out a holy life. And it's lived out, not in the closet, not in, away from society, but a holy life is lived out in the family, in the workplace, in everyday life, in the office, in the community that we live in. Uh, it's something that is very uh, substantial that can be seen. Now many pulpits, sadly, and preachers will tell you uh, incorrectly, well, God wants you to be prosperous. God's will for you is to have uh, wealth. God's will for you is to be free uh, from uh, sickness. God's will for you is to have a problem-free life. That's what he'll say uh, God's will for you is. That's wrong. That's not in the Bible. That's a lie, in fact. If preachers tell you that, they don't have any biblical warrant for telling you these things. It's not true. God's will for us, as we see here, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, and throughout the scripture, is that you are to be holy. Uh, this is the will of God, even your sanctifications. Fewer pre, uh, pulpits will tell you that. But this is the message that God wants you to know. This is the message God wants you to hear. God wants you to be holy. Be ye holy, even as I am holy, he said uh, in Peter. This is the reason why he saved you, to make you holy. The end of salvation is not, is not forgiveness. We don't come to the Lord and, and obtain forgiveness and just stop there. No, friends, the whole reason and purpose why God saved us is not only to bless us with forgiveness, but to make us righteous, to bring us uh, to uh, a, a holier uh, way of life and character. Once a person is forgiven and accepted by him, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. The Lord then kicks off, as it were, this uh, sanctifica sanctification process, and he begins to make that believer truly and actually holy. But many people stop at justification. 
Many brothers and sisters, they, well, they, they are happy to be saved, they're glad to be saved, glad to be forgiven, and they truly are believers and Christians, but then they just stop there, and they wait, maybe waiting for uh, the Lord to come back. But no, you must go on to the next stage. You, must, uh, you mustn't stop uh, and rest content with just having peace with God. We must make further efforts. We must progress. We must strive after a holiness. We mustn't just sit and wait for us to be taken to heaven and to glory. That's not the purpose why God has saved us. The ultimate purpose is to make you, in reality, righteous and holy before Him. So this is what we're, we're looking at uh, this morning. Uh, sanctification uh, in the order of salvation. Sanctification that follows regeneration, conversion, justification and adoption as we've looked at. It must come after these things, not before. Now, when we think of uh, sanctification, usually we're thinking in these terms of being made holy, being actually uh, holy. But the Bible usage of the word actually has two, two main meanings. And uh, one is, of course, this ethical holiness, this moral purity that we've been talking about and we'll mention a little bit more uh, in a while. But the other usage of it, uh, the other way the Bible uses this word is in the, in the sense of being set apart, setting something apart, setting apart a, a, an, an inanimate thing or an animate, animate thing. Uh, person or a thing, setting it apart for the Lord, setting it apart uh, for some holy uh, use. Something is taken out from its common usage and it's uh, separated for the Lord and separated exclusively for the Lord. It's no longer to go back to its common usage and its uh, common way of being, uh, being used. It's separated from those things that are now impure and it's entirely devoted to the, the, the Lord. It's an entire separation. We see this uh, in the Old Testament, uh, this, even in, the, in Genesis, the seventh day was sanctified. The seventh day was, in that sense, set apart from all the other six days of the week. And it was to be special, it was to be different. On that day, God rested. And that's the day God uh, set apart for worship and for the gathering of God's people. In the New Testament, that day is changed now to the first day of the week when we commemorate the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And we follow that example left to us in the New Testament of the, the early church. But it's still a separate day. The Lord's day is to be treated in that set-apart way. And not to treat it as a day of shopping and a day of doing everything, anything else that we do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on. It's, it's sanctified. In Mount Sinai, uh, it's referred to as a holy mountain in a set apart for the Lord. And then you think of the priests and the Levites. Well, they were chosen out of all the tribes. They were chosen to be separate, to engage in the work of the tabernacle and the work uh, within of the sacrifices and so on. They were not to engage in the common uh, secular work that other people were doing. They were set apart by the Lord. Therefore me, the Lord said, they had no inheritance. The Lord was their inheritance. They set apart for Him and for engaging uh, in uh, His work entirely. 
even the pots and pans, you know, all the utensils uh, which were used within the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. Well, they were again, you couldn't use your pots and pans to do your ordinary cooking and then take it to the Lord's house and use it for the Lord's service. That would be sacrilege. It had to be set apart for a holy use. In fact, if you read Daniel chapter 5, you'll read about a king, a Babylonian king called Belshazzar. And Belshazzar did exactly that. Uh, one time there was, he had had a great feast, a great party, and he called uh, all, his, all the high people and uh, he, he, he said to somebody, uh, bring out all the, the cups and the vessels that my father took from Jerusalem, from the temple there. And they brought out those cups and those vessels and they began to drink wine from it and they began to praise the God, their idols, as they were drinking, the wise, the princes, the concubines. They were all doing these things. And what happened? Judgment came in an instant upon Belshazzar and the company uh, who were there. He, that hand, remember, came, was written on the wall, you are found uh, wanting. Well, friends, uh, he uh, misused, he polluted that which had been set aside for holy use. But then also in the New Testament, uh, we, we have this word used in this kind of way, and I just mentioned a couple, John 17 and verse 19, the Lord praying, and he says to his Father, for their sakes I sanctify myself. The Lord had no sin. The Lord was pure. He was, he was without sin. He wasn't, you can't say the Lord was making himself holy because there's nothing in him to make holy. He didn't need any changes. He didn't need any improvement. He's holy already. But here he's saying, I'm setting myself apart. I'm devoting myself uh, entirely to the service of God. And especially this is on the verge of Calvary. I'm giving myself entirely uh, to this work of making an atonement for the people's, my people's sins. I'm going to go through with this work right to the end. I'm not going to turn back. He set himself apart. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and after that long list of sins from which they had been delivered, he says, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Again, here that word sanctified is not talking about an internal change, but that, uh, uh, that uh, setting apart, ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. Every individual believer is sanctified in the sense of being set apart for the Lord. Once you come through, once you're believing, now there's something special you could say about you. You are set apart for the Lord and for uh, His service. You're no longer an unregenerate person. You're no longer a common, as it were, uh, just a common man. You're no longer to engage in things that are profane and worldly and, and sinful in this world. Now you must remember, you are for the Lord. The Lord has saved me. I'm for the Lord. He has set me apart from uh, this fallen world. And I'm to live my life entirely uh, devoted to Him and to His cause. That's the purpose of my life. Oh, does that mean then I should give up my job? Does that mean I should give up my daytime job? Not at all, friends. 
Not at all. You need to work. You must work unless you're hampered by some sickness or uh, some infirmity or old age. Uh, but otherwise you must work. But whatever you do, whatever you're going to put your hand to, uh, do it for the Lord. Do it for His honour, for His uh, glory. Are you writing a computer program? Well, you do it to the best of your ability to the Lord. Are you fixing, some, uh, fixing something uh, uh, in the workplace or for a company? Well, are you servicing somebody's uh, boilers or somebody's uh, car or something like that? Well, do it for the Lord. Do it for Him. Do you do, do your homework? Well, you do it as best as you can, not just for a high grade, but also do it for the Lord. Have the Lord behind uh, your, even, even this kind of work. You keep house, is that your work, your full-time job, do, do, do domestic chores, all these things. You want to do it with the Lord in mind. Love your wife, love him, uh, love her uh, for the Lord's sake. Uh, submit to your husband. Again, all these exhortations uh, 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 Paul gives to us in his letters. For the Lord's sake, have the Lord in view. I want to glorify God by submitting. I obey my parents. I listen to them. I do what they, what they tell me to do. For the Lord's sake. Oh, friends, this is uh, how we are to honor the Lord. We remember these things. I go out even, perhaps go out for a day out with the family. That's good. That's wonderful. That's something that should be done. But do it all as well uh, for, for the glory of God uh, ultimately. And then perhaps uh, this may help uh, when you're tempted uh, to sin. Uh, take up uh, Joseph's words. Remember, I'm separated from the Lord, for the Lord. I cannot do this sin. I cannot go into uh, this particular great wickedness. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. I am God's man. I am God's woman. I cannot do this thing. You use your, your new status to help you in this walk of sanctification. But then let's come uh, to the second way in which this word is used. And as we've said already uh, in the idea of to make holy, God is making us uh, righteous. Sanctification, in this sense, then, is a process. It's a long process. How long is it going to last? Well, friends, for the rest of your life, for the rest of your time that you are here in this world, uh, is uh, how long this process lasts. The moment you take your last breath, then things will change. Then perfection will come. When you die, your soul will go to glory, and your soul will be perfected immediately, but your body will only be at, uh, perfected at the resurrection. When Christ returns, and the, all the dead are raised up, and you receive then that new and glorious body, then you will have a perfect body and a perfect soul uh, united uh, together. But only then. But now, now our daily task, friends, is to mortify uh, sin and to grow in grace. Only then will we be free entirely from sin. But now we have this problem of sin. Sin still remains with us. Sin is still with us every day. How are we to deal with it? How are we to handle this problem? Well, the Bible teaches us through sanctification, through mortifying on the one hand 
and growing in grace on the other. What uh, some theologians call a mortification and vivification, killing and uh, bringing alive. Keeping, on the one hand, sin under, keeping sin in check, killing sin, not allowing it to breathe, taking out the life from it as much as possible as that we can. And on the other hand, growing in grace, growing uh, in kindness, becoming better men, better women, becoming kinder people, becoming more patient, becoming humbler people, growing in these things that are, are like our Saviour, increasing uh, in faith. And as we read even in First Thessalonians 4, Paul exhorting, increasing in love. Yes, we love already to a degree, but there's still scope and room for more. There's still an ability, a, a God-given, God helping us to increase in the way we express our love for Him and for one another. And so sanctification, friends, uh, is something that we have to engage in uh, day after day. And it's not something that we can avoid. It requires our active participation. In this sense, it differs from uh, regeneration and uh, from justification. That was entirely God's work. That was uh, His hand. You had no part in it. You had made no contribution to justification and regeneration. But in sanctification, you must. Is God cooperates with us. How does He do it? Well, just before we mention it, look at Philippians 2, and verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God working in us, and we working out what He works uh, in us. This is sanctification. We, you and I, if you're a believer, and this applies only to believers, is that you must, you have a part to play. Now, uh, it's not you mustn't think of it as two independent parties, God doing His part on the one hand and me doing my part on the other hand. No, this is sanctification even. is all of God. And it's God first working in us by His Spirit and stirring our hearts and persuading us and we working out uh, that uh, salvation in day-to-day -day life. We go about this work not in our own strength, friends. Otherwise, we're sure to fail. If we just depend on ourselves, it's through dependence on the Holy Spirit. He is given to us to help us uh, overcome. If we try in our own strength, well, we're sure uh, to fail. But it's, it's as we depend on the Spirit. We pray uh, every day uh, for His help. And as we do that, well, uh, He helps us to kill those sins and to grow uh, in grace. Now this is the way that we have to do it. We are very much involved uh, in this process. But there are friends, there are people who will tell you, preachers who will tell you another way. They believe in sanctification. They don't deny we need to be sanctified. But they will teach you another method. They say, no, you don't need to strive. You don't need to fight. You don't need to struggle. You don't need to do all these things. Look, you've been doing that for years and you failed. And you're a defeated person. What you need to do is follow another method. 
And they'll say, what you need to do is just let go and let God. Stop your struggling, stop your fighting, and just trust in the Lord. And just look to Jesus. And just abide in, in Christ. Well, it all sounds very nice. And it all sounds very straightforward and very simple. But it's not biblical, friends. This teaching came out only last century. At the Keswick, started off with the Keswick Conferences. But it's a, a not a biblical way uh, of sanctification. Uh, we, uh, it's a relatively new way that we really shouldn't embrace. Other people would suggest, well, what you just need to do is receive sanctification. Just like you receive justification, well, you must receive sanctification. And they illustrate it in this way. Here is a purse, and a purse has got two coins in it. You put your hand in, you take out the coin of justification, and you take it for yourself. You receive it. And they say, well, you've got to do the same thing with sanctification. And you just put, put, your, coin, you put your hand in, you take, take the uh, coin of sanctification, you receive it for yourself. And you just, that's how you are sanctified. Again, it's not biblical, it's not here in the scriptures. It's wrong, friends. The word is very clear, isn't it? If you are a reader of the scriptures, you know this. Again and again, we are exhorted to uh, do things. Cleanse yourselves, Paul says. Put off on the one hand the old man. Put on uh, the new man. Abstain from fleshly lust, Peter says, that war against your soul. Are you something you've got to do? If you go through all these letters, you'll come across whole passages like 1 Thessalonians 4 or Colossians 3 or passages in Ephesians, which are, is a constant exhortation after exhortation after exhortation. Oh, this is what you've got to do. This is what you've got to be like. You've got to put in some effort. Well, how, uh, could, how does this all pan out for us in practice? Well, let me say, if, for example, I have a short temper. And I, I know that sometimes I flare up uh, uh, at, at times when I shouldn't do. I should be able to control that. I'm not, it's not, the temper is not the same as in my pre-conversion days. Oh, then I just let loose. Then I raged. Oh, no, the, the, the power of that has gone. The dominion of anger has been broken since my conversion. But I still find perhaps at times... I let loose and I let go of the temp my temper and I affect other people and it breaks out every now and again. How can I deal with this? I, I want to overcome this. I want to uh, put these things off. Well, the first thing to do is to pray. I pray every day, Lord, help me. Help me not to be angry. Help me if those temptations come to flare my temper and the provocations come my way. Lord, help me in that time. Pray for the help of the Lord. And then arm yourself, friends. Arm yourself with scriptures. Take scriptures like Colossians 3.8, which talks about putting off wrath and, and anger and so on. Memorize those scriptures. And then put on, the, the, I must put on gentleness, kindness. Hold those scriptures. You're, you're arming yourself with different uh, uh, ways Think of the, oh, I, I remember, oh, when I got angry, oh, what damage it did to, to other people. How oh, I hurt other people with my words that time. I don't want to do that again. 
Oh, what dishonor I brought in the office when I got angry and people were shocked that, oh, I was a Christian. And now they're saying, look at you. Oh, I better be careful now next time when I'm provoked. I don't want to do those things. You're, you see, you're, you're arming yourself. You're preparing yourself for the battle. You dare not go into a battle, friends, without any armor, without any weapons and ready to fight the attacks that come upon you. You'd be overrun. You must be prepared. If you go day by day, it's a battle for the believer, for the Christian. He dare not go, ah, I'm just going to look to the Lord and whatever happens. No, you must be ready. Think of the opposite. Oh, if only, uh, if I'm gentle instead of angry in this particular response, what a testimony that will be. That will be pleasing as well to my Saviour. Oh, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to be. And you want to try and remember these things so that when that temptation to flare up does come, oh, there's an immediate prayer, Lord, help me on that spot. And then these, the Holy Spirit will bring these things back into your remembrance and help you to overcome. And that's what we do, friends. This is just an example uh, here. We could apply it to any other area. Oh, but it sounds like hard work. Yes, it is hard work. It's we're in a battle, friends. We're not on the beach, relaxing. We're fighting. And every day, the battle for sanctification is difficult. But it's here, initially it's very hard maybe, but as you go on, the more you fight, you'll find the weaker and weaker those sins will become. And God will give you uh, more power. But if we don't fight, well, the enemy will just overrun us. We don't stand still, really. It's either going forward or going backward. So we must go in one direction or the other. Go forward, friends, uh, with the Lord. But let, finally, uh, in this pursuit of holiness, friends, uh, we must also employ the means of grace. Uh, faith, prayer, uh, personal prayer, corporate prayer, fellowship with other believers, and primarily the scriptures, the truth is given to us. John 17, 17, again the Lord's Prayer, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. And Paul, Acts 17, 32, to the elders at Ephesus, I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up. Oh friends, that God has given us uh, these different means to, to help us to grow in grace, to improve us. We must make use of all of them. Fellowship, prayer, faith, the scriptures to especially. And there's one more. There's one more means that God uses to change us, to make us better people, to make us holy. And that's his providence. The, the joys and the trials of life. Again, we read it in Psalm 66. Go back and look at it in your own time. And you'll see how God uh, permits troubles and trials in our, into our life to change us. That's the whole, one of the main purposes of trials and troubles. Is to make us better men and women uh, for him. It's in the trial that we learn uh, to be more like him. Martin Luther, he uh, said this about a minister. He said, 
what makes a minister, and it's applicable not only for ministers but for all believers, he says prayer, meditation, and temptation. Oh, they, temptation means trials. Prayer, meditation, and trials. This is what makes us as believers. And this is what God uses. So friends, when we go through hard times and difficult times in life, and we will, don't be surprised. Don't think God is angry with you uh, unless we've sinned against him, and then you'll know about it. But if, we're, if there's nothing, no sin in our lives, well, God is using that particular trial and trouble to change you, to make you a better person, more holy. This is his aim. So friends, uh, sanctification, this is it, becoming more and more like our Savior, emulating Him. He is our role model. We want to be uh, like Him, not in power, but in His character. Not in Him knowing all things, but in Him, in His gentleness, in His kindness, in His meekness, in His selflessness, in His courage, in all these ways. We want to be uh, like Him. Well, this is the work of a belief for a believer, for believer only, I have to say. If you're not a believer here, friends, this morning, and this is not really your work for you, not yet, you must first be a Christian. You must first come to know the Lord. Your first work is faith and repentance, to turn to Christ and to believe in Him. Come to Him. If you haven't done so this morning, come to Him, trust in the Saviour, have faith in Him, and then he, uh, he will uh, give you not only new life, but He will begin this work of changing you also. It's a wonderful thing, friends, that God is doing in us, training us, taking such an interest in us, all for Himself and His own glory, but also for our blessing. Well, let's close by singing our final hymn, number 449, More Gratitude Give Me, 449.